Father, in our silence, let us remember the surrender of your son at the cross. Who are we to not be willing to surrender to you? Father, make us a people now that know how to walk and surrender to your Holy Spirit, to the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. Let us know how to surrender so that we might grow up to be more like your son this morning, this week, and for the rest of our lives. Let us surrender to you. May you increase as we decrease. That is a secret of life that is so counterintuitive, Lord. It's hard on our souls, but it makes all the difference. Make us your people. In Jesus' name, all the Lord people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. That was just just right, just right for me. Just yeah, we could. That sounds a little like the applause you get for 12th place in the British Open this weekend, but you know. In the 1980s, Gray City A and W root beer. Who remembers that? Uh, they had a series of roadside restaurants, not unlike a DQ or something like that, and but they would serve meals and burgers and things and. And uh, in the 80s, they decided they wanted to compete, Jamon, with the McDonald's Quarter Pounder. And so they came out with a third of a pound cheaper hamburger and, uh, and put it out on the market, and it failed miserably. And so their team would do focus groups. We all know about focus groups, and they would ask in surveys, why, why are you not buying the third of a pounder instead of the quarter pounder? And people said, well... Uh, overwhelmingly, the response they got in these focus groups, Lil, was, we want the bigger burger at McDonald's, the quarter pounder, more than the third of a pounder. We want the bigger one. This is why we should not argue online. It's about understanding. Do we understand? Today's song, in our Songs of Summer series, today's psalm, Psalm 32, and I'd appreciate if you would open your Bibles on your phones or your Bibles you brought with you at home. Open your Bibles so you can follow along in Psalm 32. It's not that long. But Psalm 32, church, addresses the question of understanding. Do we get it? And it leads to my title. And you know we've been titling our, our uh, sermons with uh, songs from our past. And we've had a whole variety of them. And, uh, and, and that's been a lot of fun, by the way. My title this morning from a song that all of you will know is, If I Only Had a Brain. If I Only Had a Brain. Here's a verse from the song. I would not be just a nothing. Do you know it? Sing along if you do. My head all full of stuffing. My heart all full of pain. I would dance and be merry. And I don't know what this next line means, John Crooks, but it says, Life would be a ding-a-dairy if I only had a brain. I'll be singing all week here if you want to come back. Church, we may not be as good at understanding as we like to think we are or as we even might hope we are. And when we're not good at understanding, as the psalm says, as we'll find out, it causes pain. And as the song says, to love God with all of our minds, Grace City, is a grown-up dimension for followers of Christ, both individually, point to yourself, and communally, just put your arms around the gathering here at home. It's a grown-up dimension that we should pursue as individuals, but we often miss the communal 
aspect of it. Let's read together in unison, and you'll find it on your screen at home, and you'll see it up here, and if not, just listen to me. But um, Psalm 32, I just want to read together uh, verses 8 and 9. And this is where God begins to speak in this psalm, and we'll come back to it again and again when we start back at the beginning. But let's read, starting in verse 8, let's read together. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, our Songs of the Summer series, uh, it makes me happy, Gray City. It makes, I, I love the, the fun of the songs that Jamon's brought, that Tolu's going to bring, Kristen's brought. Uh, I brought things like how deep is your love and can't get next to you from my past growing up. I like that. It's, it's happy, but there's th this idea of happiness in a biblical sense. I need us to understand as we begin today, because this psalm begins this way. Biblical happy is a whole different thing. It's much broader. Here's what I mean. If you wished to do a word study of happiness in the Bible... Uh, you would immediately discover that the word blessed, which is how our psalm begins today, the word blessed in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, in the Hebrew asher and in the Greek makarios, uh, th that word blessed is the central word to study if you want to find out what the Bible says about happiness. And here's why. You can substitute happy for blessed in most every case in the Old and New Testament, and you will be accurate in your translation. And many of you have versions of the Bible in uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that say, happy are those who mourn, and it goes on, and that's a great translation. And you'll discover that happiness in God's economy is full of both what you might expect, and there we see happy are the pure in heart, happy are the merciful, happy are the peacemakers, and that fits, and it feels good, and I get it. But there's something far more striking about other verses in Scripture, even in the Sermon on the Mount, where it tells us, blessed, happy, happy are those who mourn. Really? Happy are you when people persecute you. Happy are you when people despise you and say all sorts of reviling things and insult you. Happy, blessed are you. That doesn't feel very happy, does it? But this is where Scripture takes us. Now, Psalm 32 begins with something from both the former and the latter category, and I think you'll see what I mean. Happy, in verse 1, the psalmist says, are those who recognize they don't have it all together and know what to do about it. The hard part is realizing and acknowledging we don't have it all together. The good part is knowing what to do about it. Look at how Psalm 32 starts, and I just want to put up verses 1 and 2 and the beginning of 5 because I want us to understand what the, what the psalmist is asking us to be happy about. Blessed, happy is the one, watch this, whose transgressions are forgiven. That's a mix, whose sins are covered. Happy, church, is the one who recognizes that they're just not right on their own. They're just not right. That's blessed. And don't minimize what David is talking about in these verses here. Watch this. Three huge words that in order to be happy, blessed, we need to recognize in ourselves, and these are hard. Transgressions, deliberate rebellion, crossing the line between right and wrong. That's the definition. Then it says sins. That simply means missing the mark. It's a term used in archery where you miss the bullseye. You miss it. And verse 5, he adds the word iniquity. That sounds awful. And it is because it's defined as twisting the truth 
twisting the truth. And then to cap it all, look in verse 2 real quick. Look backwards. We see our deceit. Do you see it? And that is simply acknowledging that we intend to try to disguise all three of the other things, to cover it up. So as David writes, he's discovering and, and telling us and teaching us that happiness arrives not when we cover up, but as verse 1 puts it, when we are covered. Not when we cover up, but when we are covered, forgiven. Happy are those who recognize they cannot live life as God designed it, as God intended it for you on their own, but happy are those who know what to do about it. Happy. In church, the gospel goes far deeper than wiping the slate clean and, and then leaving us to return to our mess. I think that's where we get stuck sometimes. Oh, I'm forgiven, but what do I do now? God doesn't leave us alone there. Somebody say, that's good news. That's why in verse 8 that we read, it's God speaking. God intervenes here, and he says, I will instruct you and guide you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. So God is both redeemer and guide. Both redeemer and guide. Really good news. And then you might be left saying, well, Bob, why doesn't he tell me then? Why doesn't he just tell me what to do? Why is it so hard to work out in this life? This is just so hard. But Grace City, here's where the psalm's going to take us today. Before we ask that question, and it's a worthy question, but before we ask that question, we have to query ourselves. We have to do some self-interrogation because as, as David writes, he, David is writing as if the problem is, so not, is not so much with God as our guide and teacher and instructor, but rather much more likely the problem lies with us. And this is where we can be blessed and happy when we recognize that. And the problem lies with us and the community too, by the way. And we'll get to that. The community too. The problem is us. Look at verse 9, which we read. Do you see what he writes here? I want us to see this. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding. If I only had a brain. David's warning us that, and by the way, if you're a visitor here today, I apologize, because the big takeaway this morning, here it is, don't be a donkey. Don't be a mule. And I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's where we go. And you can translate that any way you want. You can use any word you want for donkey. I won't say it in the pulpit, but you can say it to yourself. Don't be a donkey. Don't be so stubborn. This is David, not me. Don't be so stubborn. Don't be so mulish that you will never recognize God's guidance. You won't see it when it's right in front of you. So when you look at verse 9, church, what is it that God's looking for in us? And it is understanding. It is understanding, isn't it? Mules don't have it. Without bit and bridle, they will, they, they'll go anywhere and nowhere. Isaiah likens us to sheep who've gone astray, right? John Jeremiah likens us to a horse charging into battle uh, unawares, aimlessly. And you see, uh, without this understanding that David is calling us to, that God is calling us to, we can be mules. We can mulishly rush or resist in every direction God would have us go. We can rush in the wrong place, and we can resist the right place. And we can miss God's guidance. Now, here's a few dimensions uh, where being mulish plays out for us. Being mulish. First, we can be, and you'll see it on the screen, first we can be mulish and despairing. Mulish and despairing. Now, we tell, we tell folks, and I'm sure you've told folks, and I'm sure you've told yourself, we tell folks that God loves them. You tell the sharp kids this, right? Don't you, Leo? And how many times do we hear 
folks say, friends say, or even ourselves say at different times, maybe. Yeah, he probably does, but I've blown it so many times, he can't love me now. There's just, just no way. And I want to tell you this morning, church, good news. Psalm 32 is wonderful for any of us or any of our friends, any of our family who think this way. For any of you who might be despairing this morning, this is a wonderful psalm. Because who is it that God promises counsel, instruction, and guidance with his loving eye on them? Who, who does he promise this to? Well, stubbornly, sinful, troubled, persecuted followers of Christ. His people. Many scholars see this psalm, Jamon, alongside Psalm 51, where David is contemplating his adultery with Bathsheba and the subsequent murder of her husband, Uriah. And all of his flaws and all of our flaws are on display here. Our transgressions, our sins, our iniquity. They're all out front. They're all involved. And David doesn't pull any punches with his story. Now look at verse 3. This is important. When I kept silent, in other words, when I, when I didn't recognize and acknowledge all this was in me, when I kept silent, he says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. How many have been there and felt that? Come on. If you haven't, you will be. You're too young if you haven't. Now, what's striking here, if you know your Psalms, is that suffering, it's not the suffering Suffering is all through the Psalms. The psalmist often speaks of suffering due to an enemy, due to his enemies. Here, the misery comes due to his silence, his refusal to acknowledge his sin. Now, doctors will tell you, and I will tell you as a psychotherapist, we'll tell you of the, the symptoms that can accompany stress and tension that's unresolved and how covering it up and keeping, keeping silent is at best superficial. It will only last a little while. It will come out some way, won't it? But David isn't looking for those kinds of explanations. Look at verse 4. He's looking to God. For day and night, he says, your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So his drive is gone. He's listless. He's lost his mojo. And anybody been there before? Just feel it? And David looks back, and he says, your hand, God, is heavy on me. Wow. The disciplining hand of God. The disciplining hand of God, like a father who loves his wandering child, this is part of God's guidance. There's no getting around it. Don't ignore this. It's good. And please don't imagine, never imagine that guidance should always be nice. That guidance should always be sweet. That guidance should always be polite. Don't reduce God's guidance to the non-moral areas of life. Do you know what I mean? Here's what I mean. Things like, should I look for a new job? Don't reduce it to that. How should I spend my weekends? Don't re God's greatest concerns are the big areas of life. The greatest concerns is how are we growing up to be more like his son so that we can be, walk the path of righteousness to be effective ambassadors for his kingdom purposes here on earth. That's where God wants to guide. I'll say more about this. But we can be very adept at, at looking our sin in the eye and still carrying on brainlessly, mulishly. We can be really good at that. We often need help to see it. For David, it took Nathan the prophet when he said, you are the man about his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. 
And before he, before he reached verse 5, and then in verse 5, once he's acknowledged, David's acknowledging, many of us know this same relief in verse 5 that David is saying, then I acknowledged. Somebody say acknowledged. This is surrender. Thank you, Nayla. You're surrendering back there. I love it. Oh, she's stretching. Okay. Then I surrendered my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When David stopped covering up, God covered David. Let me say it again. You need to know this. When David stopped covering up, God covered David. This is the miracle of our relationship with God. Covered his transgressions, his sins, his iniquities, his deceit. Covered his heart, his soul, his mind, and his strength returned. Amen? And if you've attempted, as I have so many times, if you've attempted the cover-up, you'll know something of the extraordinary relief, Alan, that comes when you step up rather than cover-up. When you step up rather than cover-up. Augustine, writing of this verse that we just read, and of David, wrote this about David. The word, he says, is scarcely out of his mouth, and the wound is healed. Don't you love that, Kathy? scarcely out of his mouth when the wound is healed. Grace City, that's the person God speaks to in verse 6 when he says, uh, verse 8, I'm sorry, when he says, I will instruct you, teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. So church, when you hear someone despairing of God's love because of the life they've lived, when you feel that despair yourself, when you feel mired in such despair yourself, tell them and tell yourself, the hard truth of God's guidance. Are you ready? Don't be a donkey. Use your brain. And show some understanding of the gospel. This is the gospel message. Some gospel understanding, right? So God is, here's the deal. God is close to the sinner. Isn't that good news? That's good news. He's close to the marginalized. Isn't that good news? He's close to the despairing. Isn't that good news? And his guidance, listen, in my experience of 100 years on this earth, oh, 67, in my experience, feels like 100 sometimes, in my experience, his guidance carries all the flexibility that grace provides. So enjoy his guidance. Don't despair of it. Okay. We can be mulish and despairing. Here's another way we can be mulish. We can be mulish and distracted, all right? Mulish and distracted. Listen, church, this one's going to hit hard for some of us. There are, there are all kinds of ways God can guide us. I mean, he's God after all. So, so a burning bush, an angel messenger, a vivid dream, that's no problem for God. If he wants to do that, he can pull it off. And some of you have experienced things like that. They're quite unique, and they're quite wonderful. But don't be a donkey, don't be mulish about this. Use your brain. There is one way that we can rely on God today. As you leave this place, as you sit here this week, this year, you can always rely on God's guidance this way. He promises, John, that he will guide by his word and the understanding that it will give us. That's good news. Church, we have an inclination to reverse these two Thing, guidance dimensions in our lives. We, we really want the unique. We really want the supernatural. We really wait for the, for the miraculous, and, and we want that to be the norm. And I hear this all the time. And that's being mulish. God's unique guidance versus miracle is not God's norm. He can do it, 
But it's not the norm. God's norm is understanding. Somebody say, if I only had a brain. <clears throat> this is God's gift to us, our brain. It's not a voice from the atmosphere. I'm not saying it won't happen, but it's not the norm. Are you with me? Don't get distracted by waiting for the supernatural. He's already done this guidance. Let me say it another way. Our distractions can come from healthy concerns. That's not the problem. But they can be linked, Alan, to, to unhealthy practices. Healthy concerns can be linked to unhealthy practices. So we can have a real and admirable desire to, to want to do right by God, to want to do the will of God. But if we don't grasp the value of understanding, our desire can become a paralyzing posture as we wait for answers to every question of life. I know folks who, with the way they talk, seem to need a special instruction for everything they do. I wonder what God wants me to wear today. And there's a lot of language. I talked with God, and God told me, and God said, and it can be so distracting from living our lives for the kingdom purposes of God. Grace City, we don't need special instructions for our daily living. We don't. We have them. He's given us, Yvonne, our personal taste. He's given us passions for things we like to do. So much of God's will is, is predicated on who he's made you to be and what you love to do. He wants you to do those things. I wouldn't say, you know, I love skydiving for a period in my life. I think it was part of God's will. I don't think it was his overall will for me, and I don't do it anymore. But I loved it. I jumped out of airplanes about 60 times when I was in my 50s. It was great. But we must understand what our, our, that, that our passions must yield to his guidance, right? At the same time, that's how we need to be agile in this. Like if you have a passion to just make money, God has a lot to say about money. It's not a wrong thing in and of itself, but God will give you guidance there. This is understanding. If you have a passion for robbing banks, God's going to say stop. He's going to say, I'm, I'm going to switch your passion. He won't even fix your passion. He will switch your passion. He'll say to the thief, start giving. And that same passion can do a, a 180 and all of a sudden. God, God gives us our passions. Who are you? Beware, beware of the idea that guidance must come from the special and not the thoughtful. Beware of the idea that guidance must come from the miraculous and not from understanding his word. It can get us into a desperately muddled mess. Be careful of language which implies that God has established some sort of unique line of communication just with you. It's awfully hard to have give and take with someone who says, God told me too often. What do you say to that? There's no conversation. We, for, we forbade that kind of a line at elders meetings 12 years ago and no one, we never missed it. You can't have a conversation when someone says, God told me. I remember, and, and listen, God can do, he can do all these things, and, and has through history. I remember, God speaks to us in a variety of ways. I remember a kid at my Young Life Club when I was leading Young Life years ago, and this uh, junior in high school came up, and she said at the end of it, and, you know, in, in Young Life, we'll sing secular songs and popular songs alongside uh, 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 spiritual songs and, and just kind of draw people in. And back then, a popular song was The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. Any, anyone remember The Gambler? And uh, so we were singing that at one club, <laughs> and uh, she came up at the end of the club and said, that song just changed my life. I said, what do you mean? And she said, ah, oh, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. That just, that's, that, and you know what? And she said, God spoke to me. I go, okay. 
and, I, and I'm sure he did. Of course God can use such things. Just as he can speak through bad sermons, sermons that are the worst possible exposition of a text taken out of context, he can still speak to us. It's his word. But don't go looking for this. Don't go relying on this as a, as a means, as God's means of guiding you. Don't be a donkey. Show understanding. Use your brain with the gospel. He's given it to you. And, and I will add this before I move on. Most of our decisions, church, have multiple right paths. Did you know that? Multiple right paths we can take. Growing our understanding does for our minds in Christ what exercise does for our bodies. It makes us more agile. It makes us more fluent. It, it makes us less anxious. It makes us less paralyzed, less stuck, the more agile we get with God's word. Spiritual agility in decision-making is a treasure from God. I saw some parents teaching this, uh, to their ch- this idea to their children. Uh, at, uh, gosh, I think it was a Ruby Tuesdays a few years ago. And uh, because I'm a family therapist, I always listen in on family conversations, and they were in the booth right behind me. So I was eavesdropping, and the check came. Uh, we were just starting our meal, but the check came, and I heard this conversation. There was two parents and then uh, two daughters, about 12 and 10, as best I could tell. And the check came, and uh, the dad said, oh, they undercharged us by $10. And uh, the younger daughter said, no, the older daughter said, can I have it? And uh, the mom said, well, you know, uh, when someone, when uh, I used to serve in restaurants, and when you, when you undercharge, it's going to come out of your your, uh, your pay at the end of the evening. What do you think we ought to do? She said. What a great question for a 10 and a 12-year-old. So the 10-year-old says, well, I think we ought to tip her extra well, tell her about the $10, make that happen, and then tip her extra well, so in case she does it again tonight, we've covered her. 10-year-old. And then the dad says, that's, that's awesome. You, and then he takes this character lesson and he turns it to a math lesson now and he goes you guys figure out the percentage and that's what we'll do that's fluent that's agile and that's applicable to the gospel understanding that god wants us to use if we only had a brain we can live that way making decisions church is more about seeking god's word than it is about seeking god's wonders it just is do you remember the jewish leaders who were so anxious about jesus so fearful of jesus so angry with jesus how they were always demanding signs and wonders and they were missing the evidence of the messiah who was right in front of them and they missed it in their demand for signs and wonders don't get distracted don't be mulish So we can be mulish and despairing. We can be mulish and distracted. And then finally, you can even be mulish and defiant. And this captures me through my years in so many ways. Mulish and defiant. And the way this goes may very well sound like faith and belief and uh, at the outset. And we may actually be truly uh, acting as if we believe God is the one who instructs and guides. But when you drill down in our prayer and our interaction with God and with each other, we find that we're actually the ones giving the instructions. Have you ever been there? Stay with me. It is easy, Grace City, to slip into this. We pray and we ask God to guide us. But the bulk of our praying is telling God where to guide us and making bargains with him, right? God, if you'll make this happen, a spouse, a job, The lottery, 
How many of you ever prayed to win the lottery and told God, if you, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give so much away, it'll make a difference in your kingdom. It'll be awesome, God. I'll be your representative with a billion dollars. I always thought I'd be good with a billion dollars. I'll never ask for another thing, God. You and me, let's do this. It's like, it's like when someone comes to ask you, Jamon, for your wisdom regarding a certain situation. And they come and say, Jamon, what do you think? And you give your best advice. And a little while later, you, you discover that they someone else that they've asked for their advice. And then another someone else, and then a, another someone else. And often, what we find in this chain of events is it's not really wisdom that they're looking for. It's confirmation of what they think, of, of where they want to go. And we, church, we get stuck so often in our lives because all I can hear is what I want to hear. If I only had a brain, David is warning, don't be a donkey. Relationship issues, job decisions, lifestyle choices, and the uncertainty drags on and on because we can't clear our heads of what we want and listen to what God would have for us. Don't be a donkey, David says, God says. Too often we have no understanding. We just completely forget, put aside, we put aside our understanding that God is good. And that he can be trusted. That his leading may not be what I want, but it will be good. And he's not out to trick me or twist me around. Look at verse 8 again. I will counsel you. The end of verse 8. I will counsel you with what? My loving eye on you. This is his promise. And it's been my experience. So we, we pray it. We sing it. Guide me, O thou great Redeemer. Pilgrim through a barren land, that great hymn. I could sing that for you too. I'll do that later. Um, guide me, Redeemer, guide me. And then, and then we still think we know the best way. We pray it well. We just, then we just put it aside. Do you remember Peter after he confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord? He gets it all down. He's got it. And Jesus tells him he must go to the cross. And Peter says, no way. You can't go there, I'll come up with a plan. As if he knows better than the Messiah. This is in all of us. This is what we need to acknowledge and surrender. We deceive ourselves into thinking we're being spiritual when we are in fact deaf to the God whose guidance we seek. Don't be a donkey. Now, in a communal application of this, this is hard for us. Listen to me. Our defiance, our mulishness, shows up these days perhaps more communally than it does individually. Sixty years ago, on the occasion of, the, of his 1962 commencement address to the oh-so-smart, brainy students of Yale University, President Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, he said this 60 years ago this summer. He said this. And remember, these are brainy, brainy people. If I only had a brain. Too often, he said, we enjoy the comfort of opinion without the discomfort of thought. Sixty years ago, I wonder what he would think of our circumstances today. The same phenomenon today. It's grown. Mulish defiance of God's communal instruction. It can incubate in the petri dish of tribal opinion. That's a metaphor for you, Kristen Hannigan. It can incubate, 
Defiance communal incubation in the petri dish of tribal opinion. And, and unchecked by God's word, it will sabotage a whole community's journey on this earth. His communal instruction, by the way, it's not that hard to find in Scripture. I, these won't come up on the slide, but just listen. Isaiah 1, learn to do good to the community. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless. That's his instruction. Proverbs 21, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself not be answered. Okay, Proverbs 3, do not withhold good when it's in your power to act. Do you realize how we are so passive-aggressive in our, in our tribes? And passive-aggressive just means withholding what we know the other needs and wants. That's all it means. It's mean. Do not withhold good, Proverbs says, when it is in your power to act. Galatians 6, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Whole communities, church, even believing communities, even faith communities can sink into mulishness in their defiance of God's instruction in order to pursue their own preferences and prejudices. Let me say that again. Whole communities, even faith communities, can sink into mulishness in their defiance of God's instruction to pursue, in order to pursue their own preferences and prejudices. Well, the worship team can begin to make their way up, but I got one final thing I want you to notice in Psalm 32 as it closes. And, it, and this is iconic in the Psalms, really, but as Psalm 32 closes, you're going to notice two groups of people, and they're really clearly differentiated. So take a look at verse 10. There's the wicked, and alongside of the wicked are not the righteous, but the trusting. There's the wicked and the trusting. And verse 10 says, many are the woes of the wicked. And we sort of nod off when we hear this because, because we expect it. Many are the woes of the wicked. But it doesn't fin finish off then with life will be a ding a dairy for the trusting or for the believers. It may be like that for some of us. Some of you might have life as a ding a dairy. But for most of us, life's trouble for believers will not at all be dissimilar from those of the wicked. Our troubles we share. What's different, John, is gospel understanding that handles life differently, that responds differently to the fact that life is difficult. And most importantly, don't miss this, verse 10. Watch this. The, it says this, The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the ones who trust him. So happiness, blessedness, it's not a transgression, sin, iniquity, trouble-free life for the individual or the community. It's about knowing what to do with it. It's about knowing how to respond to the fact that life is difficult. It's not fixing the difficulties of life as much as it is responding in a more grown-up manner to the fact that life is difficult. It changes everything when we respond differently. And when you discover this reality for yourself, for your tribe, for your neighborhood, for your community, for your city, for your church, when you discover this, it's also about knowing who has you covered. When we uncover, he will cover. So let's, pray. let's close our eyes and go back and, and have one more moment of silence like we did at the beginning. And let's pray together that we will walk this journey of surrender, of acknowledgement. Not being mules, not being donkeys, but with understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
Let's pray. Take a moment. I will instruct you, teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Our gracious God, humble us to surrender. Clear our spirits of deceit that make us deaf to you. Fill our minds with your word and your wisdom. And may we be people of understanding and trust your loving eye on us and your unfailing love that covers us. For Jesus' name's sake, amen. Say amen, church. Let's stand and worship together. Thank you.